Thank you for coming out tonight. And um, as we had uh, said on the uh, introduction of the meeting tonight, we're going to be discussing the proposed um, constitutional amendments uh, based on these gen gender topics. Uh, it's been going on for some time now. And um, I mean, there has been some talk now in, in the media that, you know, this, this may not happen, but, you know, it, until I guess something is said for sure. Uh, right now, it's scheduled for, I think, the fifth or the sixth of November was supposed to have been for this referendum. So uh, until anything changes, I guess we're, we're going to be working towards that. So tonight, we're glad to have with us um, Brother Brian Marie uh, in House QC, and I'm um, going to um, bring forth, he's got a lot of paper to go through, so, <laughs> so I won't hang him up too much. But if you have any questions tonight, tonight is the night to clear up all of the misconceptions, any uh, dubious things that we've heard in the media. And I mean, there have been a lot of things going on in the media and the radio, you hear all kinds of things, some good, maybe some good, some bad. But it's always good to get good uh, information, correct information, especially on something that is as critical as this, because uh, uh, as we're all aware, this would not be the first referendum that this government would have been putting on. This would be the second, and um, hopefully they would respect this one more than they did the last. So um, uh, without further ado, I'm going to call on our good brother, Brian, to bring forth our discussion tonight. Um, there is some more paper coming your way. I don't know if we have enough copies, but anyway, it's sometimes a little difficult to follow some of this material unless you, you actually have the sections of the various provisions in front of you. So that's really the, the basis that um, <clears throat> I asked Daryl to see if we could have a handout. Uh, let me start with a few general comments, and then we will deal specifically with the four bills which were tabled in the House of Assembly. As Errol said, this still appears to be somewhat of a work in progress. Um, so the bills that we will be looking at tonight may not be the final draft of these bills. <clears throat> if you've been following the news, you would, have, you would have observed that the government has, has, a, has apparently decided to have further consultations with some of the constituencies in order to see whether they can, they can work out some of the concerns because they would wish to see the bills go through without any partisan uh, differences between the two major parties and, and the DNA. And of course, they also have to try and make sure that the Bahamian people understand this process and they understand what it is that they're being asked to vote on. So I think um, the, the delay may be unfortunate for those persons who are anxiously waiting um, the outcome of this process, but I think it's justified. And I think it's proper, given the state uh, of where we are today, um, there should have perhaps been greater consultation earlier, uh, but nevertheless, it's better late than never. And I think as some of the issues have been articulated, um, the Constitutional Commission has been working behind the scenes to try and meet with the various uh, stakeholders and those persons who, who seem to have some concerns about it. And we'll discuss some of those issues tonight. All right, second point, uh, it is very important uh, for any democracy, for uh, the people to be informed about what is going on. I, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but it is worth making the point. Uh, what we're doing here tonight is very important. Um, it needs to happen across the country. 
because you, you cannot function responsibly in a democracy, particularly if you're being asked to consider issues on a referendum, unless you understand it, unless you take the time to try and get good information. And so uh, it is important that we, we have these sessions, what is called uh, consultation with, <clears throat> with public society. Um, and that's really what we're doing tonight. The third point I want to make is this. It is unfortunate that some of the rhetoric uh, surrounding this issue and some of the debate has become very strident, very partisan, and frankly, at times, uh, it has degenerated into some very unfortunate exchanges between public officials. Um, you know, we, we as a people have to learn how to discuss important and controversial issues in, in a civil manner without condemning um, or criticizing persons who may have a different view. And we have to learn that we, we can actually debate these issues uh, and have a civil discourse about them without <coughs> uh, engaging in what I call demagoguery, um, you know, which, which frankly is not helpful to anybody. Let me give you an example. Um, this whole process is really in danger of, of being derailed by the whole issue of same-sex marriage and homosexuality and the gay, gay and lesbian community. Uh, now, I hope by the time we finish this evening, you'll understand the context of that point. But in my general observations, I just want to make, make, make this observation, and I hope that you agree with it. And uh, as you discuss it amongst your own friends and your own circles, you might wish to make the same point. We are dealing with proposed amendments to the Constitution of the Bahamas. All right, the first point you need to understand is that the Constitution is the supreme law of the Bahamas. There is no more important law. There is nothing partisan about the Constitution of a country. This is a national issue. And it is critically important because all other laws Every, every other law in the country is subordinate to the Constitution. And if indeed any law is found by the courts to be in contravention or repugnant to the Constitution, that law is immediately struck down. And the constitutional provision will always prevail. I, I want to emphasize it because you understand how important it is. So when we're talking about amending the Constitution, Every responsible Bahamian citizen should immediately acknowledge that this is something that is important to me. This is not just another act of parliament. You know, it's not just another law. Uh, we're, we're talking about the supreme law of the land and any changes to it have to be looked at very carefully. And we, um, as a people, have to hold our public officials responsible, which means we have to understand it and we have to participate in it. Now, <clears throat> because one of these bills in particular uh, is deemed um, by some to affect this question of same-sex marriage, um, that debate has, has, of course, been perhaps the most public and, and the, most, the most difficult debate. Uh, and this is the point I wish to make. 
Those who are in favor of the gay and lesbian community uh, on their side seem to, to think that if you, if you oppose one of these bills because you think it may affect same-sex marriage, that somehow means that you're homophobic, that you hate gays, you know, and that you're a terrible person, and that you're not enlightened, you're not very intelligent, you're very insular, you know, and that then the debate goes forward on that basis, right? So one side demonizes the other, not because of the subject matter or the view, but because they translate their position of being against something as actually hating or disliking um, or, or for, some way, for some reason not recognizing what they consider to be an alternative lifestyle. And then, of course, uh, the other side responds to that um, in like manner, and they then accuse the gay and lesbian community um, of trying to take uh, by stealth um, the, the, the position of what has traditionally been called the institution of marriage. And of course, recriminations then are made between both sides. And you see what happens, even as I try to very briefly outline the process, you see that the whole focus then really goes away from the Constitution, and you end up having a social inflammatory debate uh, about a very difficult and sensitive subject which people feel very strongly about. Uh, so the, the point that I want to make is that, you know, because somebody may support a particular lifestyle or may support a particular one of these bills or oppose it, does not mean that they, they hate a particular lifestyle or that they embrace a particular lifestyle. Similarly, um, as, as the, lay, the gay and lesbian community tends to demonize opposition uh, to this issue, so the other community, the more conventional uh, members of community who have a traditional view of marriage, also tend to demonize the gay and lesbian community. Um, and the whole thing becomes very personal. And in the, in the, the ultimate victim of that process is truth and knowledge and dissemination of information, because at that point, all that goes out of the window, and we become captive then to a, a rather heated social debate about a matter which is not essentially a part of this process, um, particularly with regard to three of the bills, and, and you, by the time we finish this evening, hopefully you can make up your own mind as to whether it, it does arise on the fourth bill. Um, Okay, so with those introductory comments, um, I, I want to try and walk the talk, as they say, um, and, and not express personal opinions, but try to disseminate good quality, accurate information for you, so you understand it. My own view on these, these social and, and national issues is that if, if we as Bahamians are given good information, we're quite capable of making responsible decisions. But the problem is, so often, the information is not very good, there's a lot of demagoguery, there's a lot of rhetoric, and the end result is that the people don't really understand what we're doing. If you recall, how many years ago was the last referendum on the Constitution during the previous administration? How long ago was that? How long? You, you remember what happened there. That debate became so derailed, and that process became so controversial, 
that, that people were actually voting against their interests at that point. And issues that you would have thought would have passed relatively easily were all rejected, right? Not necessarily because of the merits of the point, but because the way in which the debate had become and everything around it became very political. So we've got to try and avoid that this time. And we've got to try and keep this whole issue of same-sex marriage and the gay and lesbian community and their rights in context. So it does not take us off, take our, make us take our eye off the ball. All right, now, let's now get specific. That's my little, my little speech for the night. Um, it just troubles me so often when I hear and read the, the, the level of public discourse that um, some of our public officials and civic leaders and sometimes even religious leaders engage in. Uh, I had to get that off my chest. Um, okay, I think you should have a handout of the four bills. Um, and they are, I think, two, three, and four are numbered. The one that isn't numbered is obviously number one. All right, and we will try to take them in, in that order, in numeric order. Let me say, first of all, that, um, so you understand, this, this document here, which is rather tattered and well-used, um, it's like a well-used Bible. Uh, lawyers have to use this document virtually every week. Um, the Constitution, it has three types of provisions in it, which you need to understand. All right, and when you start amending this document, as I say, it's not like any other act of parliament, so there are special procedures. Right? Because you may ask yourself, why are we having a referendum anyway? All right, well, I'll tell you what the answer is. In this constitution, you have what's called ordinary provisions. All right, then you have what's called ordinarily, ordinary entrenched provisions. And then you have what's called specially entrenched provisions. All right, in that order. An ordinary provision in the constitution can be amended by a simple act of parliament. And they tend to be the less important issues in the constitution, although everything in this document is important because it's the supreme law of the land. Um, the ordinary entrenched provisions, and that's just a fancy term to say these are important and you can't change them easily. In order to change a provision which is ordinary entrenched, you need to have uh, a two-thirds majority in each House of Parliament, that's to say in the House of Assembly and in the Senate, two-thirds, not a simple majority, and you also have to have a referendum where uh, the proposed amendment is approved um, by a majority of the persons voting in the referendum. And the specially entrenched provision, and these are the most important provisions, uh, require a similar procedure, but in order to change or amend those, you need a three-quarters majority in the House of Assembly and the Senate, as opposed to a two-thirds, and then you need to have a referendum where a majority of the persons voting supports the, the proposed amendment. All of the provisions that are the subject of these bills are specially entrenched provisions. First of all, that tells us they belong to the most important and critical parts of the Constitution, 
And they are the most difficult provisions to change because they are so important. Um, in order to change them, the government has to have three quarters in the House of Assembly, three quarters in the Senate, uh, supporting the bills, and then there must be a referendum where there's a simple majority. So why are we having a referendum? Unlike uh, the gaming referendum, um, this one is, is a requirement. Government has no choice but to have this referendum if they want to amend these provisions in the Constitution. Um, so so that's, the, that's the answer. Um, okay, now, the first bill deals with Article 8. Um, I want to I wanna treat these bills in two different categories. Bill 1, 2, and 3, and Bill 4. Let me say up front why I think it's important not to conflate them. You would have heard, uh, and to a large extent this is true, this process is, is essentially about trying to remove discrimination uh, against women in respect of citizenship issues. All right? That is certainly the subject matter of one, two, and three. Um, although in one of the bills that I will point out to you, uh, the, the amendment actually favors men as opposed to women. But the basic platform for the whole process is that at the moment there's an inequality in the law and in our constitution between men and women. And so this is an effort to try and level the playing field so that Bahamian men and Bahamian women with regard to citizenship issues in the context of the first three bills are all treated the same. And in each case, in Bill 1, Bill 2, and Bill 3, the current position is that men have certain rights which Bahamian men have certain rights which Bahamian women don't have with regard to two of these bills. And one of them is where Bahamian men currently do not have a right that Bahamian women have. That's important. So you'll see that the current position in the cases of Bill 1, 2, and 3 is an inequality between Bahamian men and Bahamian women. One is currently being treated differently and, and arguably better than the other. All right? And, and, and so the basic point is, in 2014, that inequality needs to be eliminated. And rather having here and here, we need to have everybody on the same level. All right? But the important point I want you to bear in mind is that the current position in those three bills, one, two, and three, is that, is that one gender currently has rights that another gender doesn't have. Now, that is not the case with bill number four. And this point has, has not been addressed publicly at all. Bill number four has been described by the government and indeed by the chairman of the Constitutional Commission, Sean McQueenie, as the most critical bill and as the basic fundamental platform of the entire process. So they have placed enormous emphasis on bill number four. It's important that you understand that currently, Bahamian men and Bahamian women are treated exactly the same under, bill, under the law that is the subject of bill number four. Right? So follow me. Remember what I said about bill one, two, and three. What did I say? Men or women currently 
are treated differently. So we got to equalize the two positions so men and women are treated the same. Now, the public debate has, has gone on the basis that that applies to bill number four as well, but it does not, right? Bill number four, men and women are treated exactly the same under the current law. So there's no equalizing of rights under bill number four. Now, that's not to say that bill number four doesn't deal with a subject matter that should be addressed. I just want you to understand, right, that the reasons for addressing bill number four are different to bills one, two, and three. Because you are not eliminating any inequality of rights under bill number four. Right? To the extent that it could be argued that today, <coughs> under bill number four relates, and just turn to that for a moment, even though we're going to start with one, but let's just turn to four for a moment. Bill number four deals with article 26. We'll get to that. All right, but the point I'm really trying to emphasize is that under Article 26 today, there's no inequality of treatment. All right, to the extent that, that one can be discriminated under Article 26 because of your sex, it applies both to men and women together. Nobody's trying to correct an imbalance. All right, so immediately, from my own point of view, it puts it into a different category. It's one thing to say, you know, in some cases, women are treated inferior to Bahamian men. And that really can't be right in 2014, and we should correct that. And, and that, primary facie, is a compelling argument. All right? That we should not have one sex, one gender, being treated differently than the other. And so there, there may be good and sufficient reasons for addressing bills one, two, and three in order to equalize or level the playing ground. When you come to Bill 4, you've got to take a slightly different view of it because there you're not equalizing rights. All right, there Bahamian men and women today, without Bill Number 4, are in exactly the same position. So to the extent that anybody could be discriminated against under, under Article 26, which is Bill Number 4, it applies equally to men and women. So whether you decide that that's a good thing or not, does not relate to having men and women being treated the same way. You understand my point? You may, you may still think it's a good reason, right, which we'll come to for other reasons, but you can't say all these bills, right, are fixing what is a basic inequality for Bahamian women. Right? And we've been discriminated against Bahamian women for too long, and we should make Bahamian women the same as Bahamian men, so all these bills should be passed because they all equalize the rights of men and women. That would not be correct, even though I think a lot of the public officials would like you to think that. Right? They would like you to treat bill number four as essentially the same as one, two, and three, recognizing that the arguments for one, two, and three are much more compelling in the mind of some persons. All right, so, so it's important to keep that in mind. Now, having said that, let's go to bill number one. These three bills that we're gonna deal with all deal with citizenship issues, okay? All deal with citizenship issues. So look at your handout, right? And you'll see that, that they're fairly short, which is helpful, and actually pretty simple. The first bill deals with 
Article 8 of the Constitution. Article 8 of the Constitution deals with persons who were born outside the Bahamas after the 9th of July, 1973. Now you'll immediately recognize the significance of that date, right? Our independence, which is when our new constitution came into force, was the 10th of July, uh, 1973. So obviously what happened in terms of citizenship had to happen on the 9th of July going forwards. And that's why the significant date under Article 8 is, what, were you a Bahamian? Uh, well, actually, before, before the 10th of July, there was no such thing as a Bahamian citizen. So let me be perfectly uh, accurate here. You know, before we became independent, there, we may have called ourselves Bahamian citizens, but there was no Bahamian citizens, right? We were citizens of the UK, the United Kingdom, and the colonies. All right, because the Bahamas was a colony. You can't be a citizen unless you're an independent country. So the question was, what was I on the 9th of July, 1973? Depending what I was, in other words, my nationality, my citizenship, was I born in the Bahamas, was I born outside of the Bahamas? Did I have a Bahamian mother? Did I have a Bahamian father? Did I have foreign parents? All those issues had to be addressed. So come 12.01 a.m., on the 10th of July, 1973, presto, almost like magic, which is by operation of law and this constitution, all of us who were born in the Bahamas, all right, prior to the 10th of July, 1973, while you were sleeping, you went from a UK, a, a citizen of the United Kingdom and its colonies, to a Bahamian citizen. You should have woken up with that flag on your chest. <laughs> you went to bed one thing, and you came up, you woke up another. Right? And if you fell into those categories, which this constitution gave you the right to be a Bahamian citizen, you literally went to bed as a citizen of the UK and colonies and woke up as a Bahamian citizen. Right? So, with that background, let's look at, let's look at Article 8. At the moment, um, this article is, and I'm going to use this word, discriminatory. All right? By the time you leave here tonight, you're going to know what that means in law. All right? <clears throat> but this current Article 8 is discriminatory against Bahamian women. No question about that. That's not a point of view. That's a fact. You might think, you know, not all discrimination is bad, you know. Discrimination in our society today has a negative connotation. So one thinks by definition, discrimination is a bad thing. Well, in law, all discrimination means is that you're being treated differently. Not necessarily badly, but you're being treated differently than other people. That's what, if I discriminate against you, you know, we obviously look at it in the context of the civil rights movement, all right? Black people were being discriminated against by white people because they were treated differently. In that case, it happened to be badly inferior. But we discriminate against foreigners every day in the Bahamas, right? Because foreigners can't do what Bahamians can do. They can't work without a work permit. That's discrimination, right? Foreigners pay uh, certain taxes that Bahamians don't pay. That's discrimination, all right? It's so it's not necessarily a bad thing. 
You have to see it for what it is. It simply means you treat it differently. Now, under Article 8, right, we, don't, we shouldn't have to have a long debate about whether Article 8 today discriminates against Bahamian women. It does. It's a fact. It's not a point of view. All right? I'll read it to you. You don't have it because you have the proposed amendment. But while I read Article 8, which is very short, follow me with your handout and you'll see the difference. What Article 8 at the moment says is this. A person born outside the Bahamas after the 9th of July 1973 shall become a citizen of the Bahamas at the date of his birth. If at that date, here comes the big difference, his father is a citizen of the Bahamas, otherwise than by virtue of this article or Article 3.2 of this Constitution. All right? Don't let's worry too much about the exceptions tonight, because that's a detail. If you want to get into that in terms of if we have time for questions, I'm happy to answer them. But stay on the big point. All you've got to do is read that to say, well, what happened to mothers? I mean, it's, it's clear. This Article 8 in its current form gives a benefit to persons born outside the Bahamas after independence who have a Bahamian father, subject to the exceptions. Okay? So, and you've heard this debate, so if a Bahamian woman marries an American man and their child is born in Florida, that child does not have the same rights as if a Bahamian man married a U.S. woman and their child was born in Florida. You with me? You see? Now you might ask the question, why? Does that make any sense? Well, that's exactly what you're being asked to decide. Right? But that's what this is all about. So all this proposed amendment is doing is basically saying, we're not going to give something to the child of a Bahamian father that we're not giving to the child of a Bahamian mother. Now let's look at your handout. You see the difference. They want to replace what I just read with the following. A person born outside the Bahamas shall become a citizen at the date of his birth if at that date his father, and here you see it. You see it? You see the next two words? What? or mother. That's what this is all about. They're keeping the law exactly the same, but they're now applying it to fathers and mothers. All right? Um, so, really, there's not too much more to say about this bill. This is very clear. You either think that's a good idea or you think it's a bad idea. You know, that's up to you. But, but you should understand it now. Um, the, the only controversial part of this bill, in my view, is that it's not retroactive. You see that at the bottom? When you say it's not retroactive, what it means is it doesn't have any effect in law until it is passed and it operates forward. It doesn't operate back. That's what it means. Now. There are some, and again, this is an issue as, as, as interested and informed Bahamians. 
all right, or persons who are living here, this is, a, this is a, a, an issue that you need to consider when developing your position, right? Because reasonable people can have a difference of opinion on this. No, we've got to learn that in this country. Because I disagree with you, that doesn't make me bad or dumb or stupid or homophobic, right? It just means I have a different view. There are some people who think this should be retroactive because while you are fixing this inequality going forward, which they applaud and say it's long overdue, right? All of the children who were born to Bahamian women who had foreign fathers in the past would not benefit under this, right? And so that introduces this argument of should it be retroactive or should it not be retroactive? I must say, there are a lot of practical difficulties with making it retroactive. Um, and I don't want to get too sidetracked on that because <clears throat> we only have a limited amount of time, right? But, but don't think it's as, as, if, if it's sort of you could snap your fingers and you could do it, you could say, well, if you're going to make things equal going forward, why not equalize it going backwards? The problem is, you know, how many people is that going to affect? You know, we have no idea. That could be 10,000 people or it could be 100,000 people. We have no idea at all. Secondly, one could raise the argument, you know, whatever we think of it today, this was deemed to be reasonable when our constitution was passed, right? And the last time they tried to change it, even though the process became captive to, political, to a political agenda, the Bahamian people turned it down. So one could run the argument that, listen, because we've come to a point today where Bahamian people may want to approve this, that doesn't necessarily mean you should wipe out the view of everybody before this time who thought this was perfectly reasonable, right? Because to do so would be really be to disregard that former opinion and the current view would basically supersede what the law has been since 1973, right? But that's an issue that you need to address. The government, I think, has gone on record to say that they're very reluctant to make any of these bills retroactive, um, although they're getting some pushback from certain circles. Let's move on to number two, because we're running out of time, bill number two. So bill number one really is intended to benefit Bahamian women in the way in which we've said. Bill number two is also intended, and, and, and by the way, when I say bill number one is intended to benefit Bahamian women, it's intended to eliminate the discrimination between Bahamian women and Bahamian men, right? To put them on an even keel. That's important. Bill number two, a similar objective. This is also for the benefit of Bahamian women. Bill number two. So let's take a look at it. This deals with Article 10 of the Constitution, right? And this deals with the foreign wife of a Bahamian man on the one hand, as compared to the foreign husband of a Bahamian woman. You with me? That's what this one is about. Right now, the foreign wife of a Bahamian man is treated more favorably than the foreign husband of a Bahamian woman. And this is intended to remove that distinction to basically make a foreign spouse of a Bahamian citizen to be on an equal footing, regardless of whether it's a foreign wife or a foreign husband. All right, let's take a look at it. 
It says, um, any man or woman who marries a person, and again, you immediately see the distinction in, in your handout, man or woman. In the existing law, this only relates to Bahamian men. So there you see it's removing the distinction now, it's going to apply to both. Sure. The existing one reads, any woman who, after the 9th of July 1973, marries a person who is or becomes a citizen of the Bahamas, shall be entitled, provided she is still so married, upon making application in such manner as may be prescribed, and upon taking the oath of allegiance, or such declaration as may be prescribed, to be registered as a citizen of the Bahamas provided that the right to be registered as a citizen of the Bahamas under the article shall be subject to such exceptions or qualifications as may be prescribed in the interest of national security and public, and public policy. So, the existing one, Paul, any woman who after the 9th of July marries a person, uh, that could only be a man. <laughs> right? Right? So, so this, you kind of say, you kind of say, Yes. You can, today you never know. You kind of say, okay, well, that's pretty clear, right? But, but, but what happens to a foreign man that marries a Bahamian woman? And that's the issue. They didn't get the same treatment. You'll see that is immediately addressed in the proposed amendment, where the opening words equalizes or levels the playing ground, because what are they? Any man or woman. That immediately changes it. So now what is going to follow is going to apply equally to both. And that's what this is all about. This is all about the foreign spouse of a Bahamian woman. That's what this one is about. All right? The first one, eight, was, was about a child born outside of the Bahamas after the 9th of July 1973 of a Bahamian woman as opposed to a Bahamian man. This one is dealing with a foreign spouse of a Bahamian woman as opposed to a Bahamian man. All right, so let's just read it quickly. Any man or woman who marries a person who is or becomes a citizen of the Bahamas shall subject to paragraph 2 and any other prescribed conditions be entitled upon making application in such manner as may be prescribed and upon taking the oath of allegiance or such declaration as may be prescribed to be registered as a citizen of the Bahamas. As I say, the important point there is it goes, it applies now both to men and women. Now, the concern here is, oh, what about marriages of convenience? All right? And that is a big concern and a legitimate concern in the Bahamas. Right? But again, let me tell you how, I didn't, I didn't want to use this word tonight, right? But I'm going to use it, how a little bit of sexism comes into this discussion. We are all, all reasonable people are concerned about marriages of convenience. Right? Remember what I told you, citizenship is the most precious commodity that a country has. Right? To get it through a marriage of convenience is a fraud. Right? It is to extract the highest honor from a country on a false pretense. Right? And so most responsible people do not support marriages of convenience. All right? Our laws are supposed to promote the family. Right? We believe in the institution of the family. So you can't be separating man and wife, you know, if they're from different countries, right? Because that actually divides the family, all right? So this is perfectly consistent with the, with the institution of the family, 
You know, but we have to be very careful about marriages of convenience because a marriage of convenience is simply a device. It is an abuse. It is a fraud on the country. And that's really the concern of a lot of people. So let's see how the amendment tries to deal with that. All right, go back to your handout. We're now reading subparagraph two. A person may be denied registration, so that is basically a foreign spouse of a Bahamian man or woman, right, can be denied registration as a citizen if, one, there is satisfactory evidence that the marriage no longer subsists, right, the divorce, two, the marriage was entered into for the purpose of enabling that person to acquire citizenship of the Bahamas. That's the marriage of convenience, right there. All right, three, if the parties to the marriage have no intention of permanently cohabiting with each other as, as a spouse, uh, uh, sorry, with each other as spouses after the marriage, right? And of course, that also covers the marriage of convenience. So your marriage has got to be subsisting, and it's got to be, in layman's terms, a real marriage. All right, it can't be just a, a phony, right, that you're doing to get the citizenship. All right, and then it also says, if that foreign spouse has been convicted in any country of an indictable criminal offense involving moral turpitude. Um, so the way you read this is, 10.1 creates the basic right. And what's the big issue here? The big issue here is, it's now going to apply to men and women when it only applied to men before. Right? Two and three are exceptions to the general right. So you have the right, and then you have the exceptions. Now, whether or not this turns out to be a problem and, and, and a crack in the door right, for a lot of abuse will depend upon how they implement this. The law is right. The language is right. right? Because the language says you're not going to have this right to be a citizen you know, if your marriage is not, in a, in a, in a simple sense, a legitimate one. Right? If you just go into the motions. Right? And that's what it should say, because we should not allow marriages of convenience. Whether it turns out to be a crack in the door or not, doesn't really depend upon the language being wrong, because in my respectful view, the language is right. It depends on whether it's going to be implemented properly. All right, so, let's, so, so that's the second, second bill. That deals with, uh, again, benefits Bahamian women and puts them on the same level as a Bahamian man in terms of a foreign spouse. Okay? And this also would not be retroactive. Let's go to Bill 3. Now, this bill actually is benefiting men. This is addressing a position where today the woman is favored and the man is discriminated against. That's true. Women think of it all went one way. You know? and, and again, you'll find this interesting because this is very connected to history. This particular bill deals with Article 14, and it deals with children born out of wedlock, illegitimate children, all right? Under the current law, if the child was illegitimate uh, and the mother is Bahamian, the child would have the right to be a Bahamian citizen. You got that? But if the child is illegitimate and the father is Bahamian, that child would not have the right to be a Bahamian citizen. And that is because historically, 
Children born out of wedlock has tended to follow the lineage of the mother as opposed to the father, whereas children within wedlock have followed the father in terms of their descendants. It's, it's very interesting, and historically you'll find that that's the case. You know, and this, this is, um, I don't know if this is simply a recognition of the fact that, that you know, in times gone by, children born out of wedlock, the, the man would move on, and the wife, you know, the mother would, would be stuck with the child and have to bring up the child by herself, and the man's gone on to other things. You know, and whether this reflects that, I'm not sure, but historically that's the case. So, in this instance, bill number three, this is for us men, if you have illegitimate children. Children born out of wedlock. All right, let's take a quick look at it. All right. First of all, you'll be amused. Let me read to you the current provision. Now, you see if you can understand this. And this is in our Constitution. This is the way it reads today. Any reference in this chapter of the Constitution to the father of a person shall, in relation to any person born out of wedlock, other than a person legitimated before the 10th of July 1973, be construed as a reference to the mother of that person. Right? Now this is almost comical. Right? What this is saying is, any of these, these provisions uh, that, that refer to a father's right to pass on his citizenship, is to be read, that word father, as mother. If you're talking about a child who was born out of wedlock and not legitimated. Now, legitimated simply means born out of wedlock, but the couple married subsequently. And the marriage legitimates the child. All right? So you had this rather anomalous position where you read father as mother. All right? And, and so what that did was it said, a father cannot pass on his citizenship to a child born out of wedlock. Because when you see that word father, you have to read it as mother, right? I mean, it's pretty crazy, right? Look at the amendment, all right? It says, Article 14 of the Constitution is amended in the following way. A, by the deletion of paragraph 1, that's the one I just read to you that says, read mother for father, all right? I mean, just it's, it's amusing just to state it, you know? Read mother for father. So that now is being repealed. All right, and you see it's being replaced with, with little one, little Roman numeral one. Father in relation to a child born out of wedlock means a person who is proved in a manner recognized in law to be the father of the child. So they're actually now saying, you know what? Father means father. Father doesn't mean mother anymore. All right? And in order now to pass on your citizenship to a, to a child born out of wedlock, you have to establish paternity. That's what it means when it says... It says, um, recognized in a manner recognized in law to be the father of the child. You have to prove blood tests, DNA, those sorts of things. That's my child. All right? Once you can prove your, the paternity of that child, this now removes the discrimination against men, fathers, and basically treats fathers the same as mothers with regard to children born out of wedlock. So, so far, we got three bills. Two benefiting women and making them equal, and one benefiting men and making them equal. That's why I said, remember, there were two categories. In the first three, 
one of the genders was superior to the other, and this is balancing the scale, right? You, I hope you see that now. In the first two bills, we're, we're correcting discrimination against women. In the third bill, we're correcting discrimination against men. So now in all these cases, men and women, Bahamian men and women will be treated the same. You, you know what, what Bill 1 does now and what it seeks to correct, right? It deals with children born after the 9th of July, 1973, outside of the Bahamas, all right, to a Bahamian mother or father. Question for you. Do you think the right of that child, what child? A child born outside the Bahamas after the 9th of July, 1973. Do you think the right of that child to become a citizen of the Bahamas should be different if his father is Bahamian than it would be if his father was foreign and his mother was Bahamian. That the point? That's the question for you as a citizen. In other words, you know, if you've got one foreign parent and one Bahamian parent, should his right to citizenship be the same whether the Bahamian parent is the mother or the father? That's your decision, that's what it's about. Second one, right, so, right, deals with the foreign spouse of a Bahamian woman. That's a simple one for you. Do you think that if I marry an American, the right of my wife to become a Bahamian should be different to Denise if Paul was English? You see the point? All right, that's what that's about. Right? Should Paul, the English foreign spouse, have the same right as Mary, my spouse? Because I'm a man and Denise is a woman. That's what you could ask yourself there. All right? And the third one we just dealt with deals with children born out of wedlock, right, that now gets their right because their mother is Bahamian. Do you think that that child should have the same right if his father is Bahamian? Okay, bill number four. This is the one that's generated the most concern. Article 26. Now, as I said, the first point about bill number four is there's no inequality between men and women under Article 26. Right? Now, you, you, you may hear differently, but I would challenge anybody that tells you differently to come speak to me. Right? Under Article 26, women are not inferior to men, and men are not inferior to women. Right? Whatever mischief that they're trying to fix in Article 26, applies equally to men and women. That's the first point. So this is not correcting an imbalance. Okay, second point. Now this is the article, while that's being handed out, Article 26 is the article that basically prohibits discrimination. Generally subject to some exceptions. Okay? So this is an important article. What we've been talking about before, remember the three bills, what do they deal with? Citizenship. We're not talking about citizenship anymore. When you get to Article 26, you are into what's called the Bill of Rights, right, in the Constitution. And this deals with the fundamental rights of individuals. 
this is the most sacred part of a sacred document. Right? The Constitution is a sacred document. The most important part of a Constitution is the Bill of Rights. Right? This Bill of Rights ensures your freedom and your liberty. Without the Bill of Rights, we'd be living in a different country. Right? So you can't get anything more important than touching the Bill of Rights. So when we mess with the Bill of Rights, we better know what we're doing. Right? Because this is the ultimate, the ultimate protection of what's known as fundamental rights. Now, if you have that little package, turn, turn over to the Constitution. I've given you some, some, um, I'll tell you what page it is. It's one, they're not numbered, but you can count. Two, three, four, five. It's the fifth page in, and you should see uh, number 26. sort of to, towards the bottom of the page. You see that? You got one? You see it? Okay. It has a number what? Th thank you. Thank you. See, that's why women have to be equal. See? They're smarter than us. They're smarter than us. Right? Page 35. Thank you. Okay, now look at the marginal note. You see what it says? Protection from discrimination on the grounds of race, etc. Right? Let's just take a look at this. As I say, you're in now to very important stuff. Subject to the provisions of, of paragraphs 4, 5, and 9, right? now hear the magic words. No law shall make any provision which is discriminatory, either of itself or in its effect. Right? Now they look like simple words to you, but people died for this right. Right? This, is, this, this, this took a lot of bloodshed to get to the point where we take this for granted. Right? These are the treasured words right, that prevent discrimination as a matter of a constitutional mandate. Now you'll see, like I told you before, it doesn't say all discrimination is wrong or bad. Because look at the opening. What does it say? Subject to 4, 5, and 9. You see that? So that immediately tells you, and we'll look at 4, 5, and 9 in a minute, what is in 4, 5, and 9 is discriminatory, but it's constitutional. And you'll see what it is in a minute. So you could say, you'd be taking away the wrong message, but just to be clear, a little game, you could say the Constitution actually allows discrimination, because it does. If you fall under 4, 5, or 9, that is called legal discrimination. That may sound like an oxymoron, right? But it, it's legal discrimination. But if you don't fall under 4, 5, or 9, any law that is passed which discriminates against you will be struck as being unconstitutional. Now, here's what discrimination is. Look at number 2, right? Subject to the provisions of paragraphs 6, 9, and 10, no person shall be treated in a discriminatory manner by any person acting by virtue of any written law or in the performance of the function of any public office or any public authority. Now look at three. Now you're going to know what discrimination means. In this article, the expression discriminatory means, here is it, here's what it means, affording 
different treatment to different persons attributable wholly or mainly to their respective descriptions. Now here's the list. By race, by place of origin, by political opinions, color, or creed. Whereby persons of one such description <clears throat> are subjected to disabilities or restrictions to which persons of another such description are not made subject or are accorded privileges or advantages which are not accorded to persons of another such description. Simple translation, right? Unless the discriminatory law falls into one of the exceptions, no government and no law could treat one person different to another person based on, go back to the section, because of his race. So if you treat black people one way and white people another way, right, that's unconstitutional. His place of origin, if you treat somebody from Haiti one way and you treat somebody from the United States another way or Bahamian, right, unless you fall under one of the exceptions, that's discriminatory. Political opinions, obviously, if I support one party and, and the, the, the government of the day tries to discriminate against me because I support the opposition party, my constitution protects me. I could take them to court, right, and I could get relief. Color, all right, one might say that's close to race, or creed. <clears throat> now, right there, what the fourth bill wants to do is after the word color, okay, it wants to add to this list the word sex. So it'll read, right, um, you can't afford different treatment to different persons attributable wholly or mainly to other respective groups based upon the race, place of origin, political opinions, color, creed, or sex. Whereby persons of one description are either subject to disabilities or restrictions or given advantages. Right? That's the first place where they want to add the word sex. Right Now, Michael? Well, a lot of people think sex is an adjective, you know. But, but <laughs> here, it, it, and I must say, there is some common law to, to support this, right? That in law, sex refers to a male or a female under the common law, all right? And that's what the proponents would tell you. <clears throat> now, I must say, this word sex does appear in many constitutions. Many, not all. Jamaica is a, is a major distinction. Jamaica did not like that word and they actually use the words male or female in their constitution, which you may have, if you've been following the press, you may have heard, is what a number of the church leaders are urging the government to do, right? To, to put in a provision that says, right, sex means male or female. So, you know, it's very clear. But what they're trying, they, they don't want to use the word gender, because gender is even more controversial. To the, to the gay and lesbian community. 
right? So they, they, but, but, but they're trying to say you can't discriminate against somebody on the basis that they are a man or a woman. That's what this is, that's what this amendment is trying to say. Right now, sex is not in the list. You see what the list is. Race, place of origin, political opinions, color or creed. Alright? Now, this is why I say that this provision is not correcting an inequality where one gender, one, 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 you know, part of the sex is, is, is greater than the other. The fact that the word sex is not there means if you can discriminate on the basis of sex, you can discriminate against a man or woman. One is in no worse position than the other, unlike bills one, two, and three. One and two, women are in worse position than the men. Three, man is in a worse position than the woman. Four, men and women are equal. Right? So as I say, any mischief which this bill is intended to, 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 to rectify, right, is now not a question of leveling the playing field. Because this playing field is perfectly level. Right? The absence of the word sex means that, that if I want to d discriminate against Steve because he's a man, I could do it, they would say. And if I want to discriminate against Denise because she's a woman, I could do it. It doesn't say now, I can't discriminate against men. See what I'm saying? Because then that means men would be protected, but women wouldn't. So don't let anybody fool you that this is any equalization, right, or leveling of, of rights between men and women. That is simply a deception that is not correct. I'm not saying this is not important, but they shouldn't misinform people, right? Because they're saying, under the law of the Bahamas today, the anti-discriminatory provisions in the Constitution do not relate to discrimination against somebody for being a man or a woman. Right? That's what they're saying. And they're saying that is regressive, right? That can't be right. That puts us out of line with the United Nations and with the international community. And we should now have the same prohibition against discrimination for race, place of origin, political opinions, color or creed, that should apply to sex, right? So this is either going to help both men and women equally, or it'll leave both men and women in the same position. One argument is, if you put sex in here, all right, and, and now you, you cannot, because remember what this provision does. This provision, as I say, is one of the most important in the whole Constitution, protects us. If you say I cannot discriminate based on sex, which, and let's assume for a moment that's a man or a woman, if two women go to um, the registrar general and say I want to be married, and or to a, a church or whatever, I want to be married, and they say no, I'm, I'm not going to marry, I don't, we don't believe in, in same-sex marriage. The concern by persons is that that personal couple could bring a constitutional case and they can say any law as I remember it, right? All laws are inferior to the constitution, right? That's important. So in, the, in, our, in, our, in our system the parliament is not really supreme in the sense that they could do whatever they want, right? Parliament has a great deal of power. They could make a dog a cat. Right? They could pass a law making a truck a car. They could do a lot of things. 
But the one thing Parliament cannot do is pass a law that's inconsistent with the Constitution. Not even Parliament can do that. Right? So that is why it's called the supreme law of the country. So this couple could go to court and say, I am a woman and she is a woman. They won't marry me. Why? Because one of us is not a man. You are discriminating against me because we are two women. Any law that says a marriage is between a man and a woman must now be unconstitutional. And you must strike it. That's simply put the argument of people who are concerned about that. All right? On the other side, and I'll try and help you on this in a moment, because there is some assistance here. The other side says, no, no, you can't do that because we have already in our law a provision that defines marriage as a, between a union between a man and a woman. All right? and, and that law uh, is preserved in the Constitution. And so by adding sex here, there is no danger that that is going to be used as a platform right, to, to, to make our, our laws prohibiting same-sex marriage unconstitutional. And let me show you something. Go to your handout that I just gave you. All right? And let's look at you on page 35. All right? I want you to go... Um, over the page where we were reading little number three. You see that? Where we talked about the definition. I now want you to look, just turn back for a moment and look at 26.1 on page 35. We've read this already. This is the provision that says you cannot discriminate. But you see what, is it, what does it say? It says there's some exceptions to this, right? One of the exceptions is what? Is little four, right? So before we look at little four, what does this say? What this says is, you cannot pass any laws to discriminate unless those laws come under four, five, or nine. If they come under four, five, or nine, they can discriminate. You with me? Now let's see what four is. Go to four, right? Paragraph one of this article, that's what we just applied, that's what we just read, that's the one that says no discriminatory laws, shall not apply to any law so far as that law makes provision, and look at C, C, with respect to adoption, and then what does it say? Marriage, divorce, burial, devolution of property on death or other matters of personal law. Now, the proponents of this bill say, that's your answer. Those people who would say that by adding sex right, to 26.3, you run the risk of making same-sex marriage constitutional, they say, no, because little four says any law dealing with marriage you can actually discriminate. You following me? Let's go back to 26.1. What does 26.1 says? 26.1 says, no discriminatory laws unless you come under 4, 5, and 9. 4 says, that applies to laws dealing with a number of things, including marriage. Translation. So if you have a law that deals with marriage, which discriminates on the basis of, of sex, or for that matter, creed or color, 
that law is legal because it is a specific exception in 26.1. You with me? Now, just one second. Now, just look, look, sorry, because I, I don't want to lose my trend here. Just look in your bundle. I, I think I gave it to you. I think it's the first page. At the top of it, it says matrimonial causes. You see that on the first page of what I gave you? And look at section 21, which is right at the bottom of the first page. Right? Now, what you're now looking at is something called the Matrimonial Causes Act. This is a normal act of parliament. We're out of the constitution now. This is a normal act of parliament, right, that deals with marriage. You with me? So, if you're really sharp with and with me now, you should say, oh, okay, if it deals with marriage, then it comes under four. And if it comes under four, it's an exception to one. So, I can discriminate. You with me? Look at, look at section 21 of the Matrimonial Causes Act. A marriage shall be void on any of the following grounds. Turn over and look at C. That the parties are not respectively male and female. You see that? This is what you don't get in the newspaper or listening to these guys in the house sometimes, right? This is pretty clear. And you see, Michael, there they do use the words male or female. So it would be accurate to say in the Bahamas... That, that, that any marriage that is between a male and a male, or a female and a female, go back to section 21.1, is what? Void. You know what void means. But once you put the word sex in that list, right, then, then any law which does not fall under one of the exceptions could be tested. Right? as to whether it's repugnant to the Constitution or not. Because in order to survive, if it's discriminatory, it has to come under one of the exceptions in 4, 5, and 9 of Article 26. Right? So, you know, sure, it, it, it might spurn a lot of litigation, a lot of testing. Right? But, but I guess the fundamental point is, and this is for each of us to decide, uh, at the moment, there is no constitutional fundamental right that prohibits discrimination on the grounds of sex. Right? And that's, I don't, I don't know if we like that word, but let's for the purposes of the general principle treat it as because you're a woman or a man. Right? Now fundamentally, bearing in mind what you said, Paul, right, all the other considerations, right, we have to decide, is that where we want to stay? Is that where we want to be? Right? Or do we think that it's time, you know, to actually enshrine or entrench in our constitution, uh, you know, a, a prohibition to discriminate against somebody on the basis of whether they are a female or a male. I, I want, I, and I hope you also see the point, I'll come to you right now, I think, I hope you also see the point that it, it really goes beyond this question of same-sex marriage, and that's your point. I mean, that's the sort of issue that's caught the public attention, you know, in the newspapers and the radio shows and, and all of that. And it's, it's clearly an issue, right? You'll have to see whether you think that is as big an issue now that you know about Article 26.4, right? But you may still think, you know, it's not a good thing, right? But, but you have to make that decision yourself knowing what is involved. I just want, if I do nothing more than this, I've accomplished something. I don't want you to approach Bill 4 
on the basis that you're trying to remove an inequality that currently exists under Article 26 between men and women, right? You are doing that in Bills 1, 2, and 3. You are not doing it in 4. You have a more fundamental question in 4, Paul, right? That you've, you've, you've mentioned one of the factors. And it's up to you to decide whether you think our Constitution at this stage in our development, given where we are, right, should prohibit expressly discrimination on the basis of sex. What I, what I handed out, right, is what I think is the definitive solution to this issue of same-sex marriage, right? And if, 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 if our leaders want to put this issue to bed, absolutely definitively, right, if this provision was added to Bill 4, right, then I think it would be exceedingly difficult for anybody to suggest that the passage of Bill 4 could be the precursor to the legalization of same-sex marriage. A lot of people say it's already there because of what? 26.4, which I showed you, which talks about you can discriminate in laws dealing with marriage. I gave you the Matrimonial Causes Act that says marriage is a man and a woman. But this extra provision, I'll just read it, right? It would be a provision that says paragraph one of this article that's, that's Bill 4 we're talking about. So we're talking about Article 26. If you put sex in to that provision, as is suggested, this paragraph, would, this, this amendment would read, Paragraph 1 of this article shall not apply to any law so far as that law makes provisions, and you'd put in a new sub-F, for prohibiting same-sex marriage or rendering the same void or unlawful. All right? Now, I must say, the Constitutional Commission itself initially recommended this. I'm not quite sure why they went away from it. You know, if you read the Constitution, the report of the Constitutional Commission, and by the way, it's a very erudite, very interesting document. You've you got to be wide awake, because it's long, right? But you, it's, it's available on the, you know, on the web page. And if you're really interested in this subject, you should look at it. Right? But in that report itself, they recommend this. But by the time it, the bill came to the House, they did not pursue this. And they were relying on Article 26.4. Right? But, but I think this would be a very helpful uh, amendment, which, which might provide the way forward you know, to where, where many persons who are currently concerned about ushering in an era of legitimizing same-sex marriage, right, could, could really, sorry, could really be, um, be more satisfied with, with this bill if this language was introduced in addition to 26 subpower 4. The Constitutional Commission um, deserves a, a lot of credit because they did undertake a fairly long process of public consultation with various different groups and constituencies. So I don't want to uh, in any way diminish that fact. If you go on the website, and the Constitutional Commission has its own website, you will see all of the reports from all of the different groups and individuals that they did consult with. So I didn't mean to in any way denigrate their efforts at public consultation. My concern is the average guy in the street, the average woman, the average person, you know, at, at our level, right? Um, 
I, I don't think there's been a sufficient public education campaign, right, to explain it to us ordinary people. You know, if you're in a position of leadership, you know, or you're president of an association, the, 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 the Constitutional Commission did consult them and got many, many different views. And their report is a very erudite, extremely comprehensive review of the constitutional reform process. And I would commend it to you. Right? But I don't think at the, to, at the level of the average citizen in the street that all of the things that we have tried to discuss tonight has necessarily been put out there and explained. You know, and so when I say public consultation, I, I really mean uh, in the context of civic organizations, church organizations, social clubs, service clubs, you know, neighborhoods, churches, you know, where, where you get together in relatively small groups and you can, you can look at it, have some handouts and explain it to our people. It, it, it is very important because uh, I think, I, I hope that, that you understand it a little bit better than you did before you came in. Now, I'll just say one last thing and then we'll turn it back over to Errol to dismiss us in prayer. Um, you, you know, the um, Bill 4 also, and I should, in the interest of being complete, Bill 4 also, in addition to wanting to add the word sex in Article um, 26 4, sorry, in Article 26 3, it also adds the word into Article 26 5. All right, you have that in your handout, Article 26 5. The issues are no different, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. I think the issues are the same, but just in the interest of completeness, Bill 4, if you look at 26.5, you'll see the same list. Nothing contained in any law shall be held to be inconsistent with or in contravention of paragraph 1 of the article to the extent that it makes provision with respect to standards and qualifications. Right? And then you see this list. Specifically relating to race, place of origin, political opinions, color, and there they want to put in the words creed or sex. So this word sex gets added to two places. It gets added to 26.3, and it gets added to 26.5. Right? And I think the issue is more or less the same in both places. Um, so, uh, with those comments, um, I, I hope that it's been a, a little bit helpful to you. Uh, it's an important process. Um, you know, the Constitution has not been amended since 1973. Um, so, clearly it's time to take a look at some of these issues. Um, you know, we probably should have done it before now, uh, but with regard to, to these specific bills, we'll have to see what the final version looks like. I hope that the handout that I gave you in terms of an addition to Article 26 is something that they'll look at. Um, I think that will address many concerns. And then the issue will be the bigger point as to whether you know, you want to go down that area where you add sex to the list. Um, if you want to see what you can discriminate on, we don't have time to do it, to go through it, but if you look in the Constitution, and I'm not sure I've given it to you, but it might be in your handout, if you look in the Constitution at, at Article 26, um, Articles 4, 5, and 9, 
you will see that those are the areas where you can have discriminatory laws. All right? And you just might find it interesting. I mean, it obviously includes things like work permits, taxes, um, gambling, you know. In fact, we discriminate against Bahamians in gambling because Bahamians cannot gamble, but that's legal. That's another, I mean, that's clearly discriminatory. It's not, maybe not bad, but all law at the moment says if you're a foreigner, you can gamble in the casinos. If you're behaving, you can. Isn't that discriminatory? But that's legal because it falls under one of the exceptions. And you'll see the list of exceptions there. All right? So stay informed. Um, be ready to vote when the referendum comes along. Thank you very much.